Well, thank you guys all for being here. Those of us who are, I'm so excited to see each and every one of you. Um, as we close out our series, our sermon series for this week, or for this month, um, on the God who speaks. Today we're talking about God speaking in our circumstances. And as we wrap up, um, I want to stress how all of the stuff we've talked about this month fits together. Uh, Sarah taught us knowing the voice of the Lord spoken through the Spirit is crucial in being able to decipher where God is, where he's speaking and where he isn't, and what it means to listen and to obey. Nick taught us about the word, where God is always speaking, how to find life in Scripture. And Amber taught us last week about how God speaks through other people in our lives and how we can be the voice of God to other people in our community. I think a lot of people hope to come to sources like these, like sermons and spiritual books and come to spiritual mentors and, and listen to podcasts, hoping that they can just like go and lay out all of their stuff and somebody can go in, pick it apart, interpret what's happening and tell them what God is speaking to them, like a translator. And I, I don't think it's that simple. Uh, seeking out and finding the voice of God can be really murky and unclear. Uh, I want to stress that God speaks differently to each person, differently in each situation, differently in each season. The message is unique to you and what it is that you need. So I would caution you to be a little weary if someone tries to tell you what God is saying to you. I mean, if somebody you trust, maybe consider it, but otherwise, run away, I would say. Because only God really, anybody trying to speak for God, I wouldn't you know, have weird feelings about that. I feel like you should, probably should too, just word of caution. Uh, today, we're going to talk through the stuff that happens in life and how and why God uses these things to speak to us. We're going to talk about David. We're going to talk about sin, salvation, good things, and we're, we're going to talk about suffering. As I was kind of developing what this message was going to look like, what kept coming up for me was some really hard stuff, stuff that I didn't want to talk about. Um, Stuff that I, I know for a lot of people who don't believe in God, that's the reason why. Or a lot of people who have lost their faith and walked away from Jesus, that's the reason why. And I didn't want to talk about that. I didn't think I was the person to talk about that. But it just kept coming back up. So in trying to practice this, um, I'm going to butcher the word, but Shema, I believe is what Sarah called it. This, you know, trying to take in new information and put it into practice. Obedience to God, listening and doing what he says, I figured I would try to stop running away, and lean into it. Um, so let's pray first. Uh, God, thank you for today. Um, I know we always complain when it rains, and nobody knows how to drive when it rains. I just pray for everybody on the road to be safe, and I thank you that um, with the rain comes life, and with the rain comes cleansing. Uh, just be with us. Fill this, this space. Uh, be with everybody who couldn't be here today, and just make your presence known to us. Um, open our eyes. Open our ears. Open our hearts. As you are always speaking, I just pray that it doesn't fall on deaf ears, uh, in Jesus' name. So let's dive in. First thing I want to do is draw the line between circumstances, what we're talking about today, and the consequences of our sin. Everything that we live through is a circumstance. So if you think about it like this, this uh, image we've been working with, these circles. So it's like the, the black polka dot circles. Those are circumstances, right? It kind of encompasses everything. The consequences of sin sit inside the big circle, like the red one or the yellow one. Some things that we go through are the results of our own actions, but not everything that you go through is a consequence of your sin. 
there's the, the story of the blind man who came to Jesus and asked to be healed, and all of his disciples were like, hey, you're blind for a reason. Either you sinned or your parents sinned. Hey, Jesus, which one is it? And Jesus like, guys, doesn't doesn't work like that. Um, and obviously, I'm paraphrasing, but it's, uh, in John chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, now as Jesus was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God would be displayed in him. So be encouraged, because not everything you're going through is your fault. Um, we'll go a little deeper into that later, but some things are solely happening to bring God glory. And sometimes it's not about you. I know that really sucks to hear when you're going through something hard to say that what God's speaking through your hardship and through what you're going through is not for you. Um, but sometimes it's for other people witnessing that. But um, that is not to say that you don't have to be responsible for your actions. You have to take ownership and responsibility for the results of your sin. And I know every time I read that, all I can think is, what if I was that blind man? Like, I'm assuming he was blind, I'm assuming he was at least 20. So he's been blind for decades, and then Jesus is like, oh, yeah, you're blind, but it's not for you. And you're like, oh, cool, thanks. That, thanks for addressing that. I do believe that God can redeem everything, even the consequences of your sin, but I do not believe that sin was part of God's plan. Enter David. David, in the Old Testament, was a very special man. He was a king of Jerusalem. He was chosen by God. He was a great warrior, a wise leader. He was a poet. He was the ultimate worshiper. If you, he wrote most of the Psalms in the Old Testament, and he's cited as one of the, just the key players, a turning point in the Old Testament in the story of God's relationship with us. So one day, he's hanging out in his palace, and he sees this, like, smoking hot chick, naked, taking a bath on a roof. And he's like, she's hot. I want that. I'm the king. I'm going to go get that. So he did. He slept with her. Um, I'm doing a lot of paraphrasing today. I'm sorry. <laughs> like I said, what kept coming up was really heavy, so I had to make light of something. So this was my way of dealing with that. <sighs> so he sleeps with her. And she was married to another man. So in trying to cover up his sin, because even thousands of years ago, that was still not okay, um, so he, he thinks that he's going to take care of this. He sends her husband to the front lines of war because he's like, oh, I won't be responsible for that because people die in war all the time. But basically insisting that he's on the front lines guarantees this man is dead. The circumstance seems pretty hopeless and pretty bleak. I don't know about you, but if I had an affair with a married person, and then had that person's spouse murdered, I don't know how, I, how do you get out of that? Like, what do, you, what do you do? And then enter Nathan, a prophet, because things get even more complicated and worse for, for, for David. Nathan is given a vision and a prophecy of David's sin, and he confronts him about it. Because the last thing you need when you're eyeball, like up to your eyeballs and whatever that is, is somebody calling you out on it. But he says, I know what you've done, and God knows what you've done. Repent. So now here David is. He's drowning in sin and the consequences of his sin. He's being convicted. But we're going to come back to that later. So, like, dog ear that page, turn the page, we'll come back to it. Because God uses all things for good, and he can redeem everything. 
One of the things that started taking shape when I started writing this was it was a lot less about what God speaks or how God speaks, because I think that's, again, unique to every, every situation, so how do you talk about that? But more about why, why God uses these things to speak. And it all circled around God's goodness. God speaks because he's good and he desires good things for you. So breaking down the basic types of circumstances, because I like lists and I like to categorize things and all that, um, found generally uh, anything that we go through can fall into one category of these, either blessing, providence, silence, hardship, or loss. So just walking through those, starting with blessing, because I like to get the good, you know, let's go to the good stuff first. Um, God speaks to us in seasons and circumstances of blessing because he is good and he desires good things for you. I believe that this was the plan the whole time. God created us to be good things in a good creation and to receive good things, but we live in a fallen world where sin happens. We deviate from the plan. And it's easy to recognize God's voice in blessings when he gives you good things, but it can also be really easy to take those blessings and those good things for granted. So watch out for the, the sense of title, entitlement that I feel like can be very easily, can really creep in undetected. It starts to overshadow what God speaks to you. And I think that when receiving blessing, what God is saying is that he loves you. I love you. I want to give you good things, and I want you to be a good thing in this world. Jeremiah 29, verses 11 through 13, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. And providence. God speaks to us in seasons and instances where he's providing what we need because he is good and he desires to meet your needs. God is our father, and he doesn't want to leave us without the things that we need. I will say sometimes this uh, needs a little bit of a check of perspective. I find myself in this all the time, uh, that I think I need something that I don't actually really need. In my head, I've um, convinced myself that I need a brand new clean air vehicle, all electric. That's not really what I need. But God has provided that my old car from college that is 11 years old still runs, and it still gets me places. Sure, it doesn't have air conditioning, and it does not look pretty, but it has a seat and a, a wheels and, you know, it's got wheels and a steering wheel and, I, I, you know, it works and it gets me there. God provides that stuff. And I think that gets really hard, too, um, when we think about people who don't have what they need. Um, and that's where things can get a little murky. But speaking, uh, looking through to scripture, Matthew chapter 6, verses 26 through 33. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. 
but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. I also think that God speaks in silence. I think when you're, communi- you're, you're having a conversation with somebody and they just stop talking, that communicates a lot. They might not be verbally saying something, but they're, they're saying something. I think God speaks in silence because he's good and he desires your genuine and passionate heart. Sometimes you need to stop and be still. How many times have you been, I know I have, running nonstop and so busy and, and can't catch a breath and that's when you get sick and you're knocked out in bed for a week straight because God says, stop, you're, don't do this to yourself. Sometimes God needs to remove the distractions in your life in order to make room for intimacy with him. When else can he say, rest, I am enough? There's nothing that you can do to earn what I've provided for you. Rest in me. Uh, my favorite worship leader is Amanda Cook. Um, she sings some songs. Uh, she's with Bethel, like You Make Me Brave. I know we do that one a lot. Or You Came. She does a lot of really good stuff. And I can usually keep my cool around like famous people. Um, I one time gave Tom Petty like a, a, dry, a ride home, like five minutes down the road. You know, that's... It's, very quiet, but, you know, you keep your cool. But I'm pretty sure if I ever had the chance to meet Amanda Cook, I would 100% fangirl out, and I would make her really uncomfortable. You know, we all have that one person that we would probably just make really uncomfortable. Katie would be Taylor Swift. I think she might just start weeping. If Amber ever met Lecrae, I think she would probably try to sneak into, like, the trunk of his car or something. That would be me. Um, and she quietly got divorced last year. And in the recovery process, uh, through all of this, she wrote an album that got released a few months back. One of the best songs on the album, I think, which is the title song, is called House on a Hill, where I'm assuming she actually moved into a solitary, isolated house up on a hill. Um, I'm sure experienced a lot of loneliness and quiet. Um, But through the course of the song, this house on a hill comes to symbolize this season and that feeling of isolation, that feeling of quiet. I'm going to read some of the lyrics to you guys um, because this song just ministers to me so deeply, and I think it exactly sums up how uh, God speaks in silence, why God speaks in silence. It says, it's quiet in this house upon a hill. You won't mind it. Some things you can't know until you're still. In the silence where your spinning thoughts slow down in the stillness. Things have a way of working out. Allow me to introduce myself again. I'm the one that knew you before time began. I've been waiting for you to let me be your friend. Everything you ever need is everything I am. I'll meet you in the house upon the hill. How I want to show you I'm real. Allow me to introduce myself again. I'm the love you used to think could not exist. I'm as sure as where you're standing and as free as the wind. You don't have to reach for me because this is where I am. And then in hardships, God speaks in our hardships, in our trials, in our testings, because he's good and he desires to grow you and reveal his glory in you. Trial builds character. A knowledge of faith or mercy or grace or love only in theory is really not as powerful or as credible as a testimony of someone who's been through it. 
someone who's relied on God's mercy and on God's love and can tell, has lived to tell the tale. We talk about survival through hardships. You don't survive easy things. Things we survive are the stuff that almost knocked us out. And when you can get through that on God, how much stronger is your faith? I think about it. I know at least half the people in this room really love cake, right? So all of the ingredients in cake do not look the same when they started as when they are finished. You literally have to break open the eggs. You beat these things together, and then you put it in a pan, and it goes in the oven, and it is subjected to extreme heat. And I think the same thing happens when we go through hardships. Because then at the end, you take the cake out, you trim it, you ice it. It's delicious, and it's beautiful, but it's not what it was when it went in the oven. It's not what it was when you gathered everything together. And that's kind of what our trials do. God, I think the the analogy got away from me, because I was about to say, God's trying to make you a cake. (sighs) But you get what I mean. Um, and when I was thinking about hardship, I thought, like, what, what does that look like for us? And it was very clear. Our little church has been through quite a, bo- a, quite a, a lot of hardship over the last two years. And I know I'm sick of talking about it. I'm sure you guys are sick of talking about it. But I think that the overall, overall arc of our story of what we've been through and what we're still going through as a church reeks of God's glory. So I wanted to talk about it. Between two name changes joining and leaving a network, countless losses of irreplaceable people, and two major shifts in leadership. We've been through a lot. And now we face, I think, I think the hardest part yet, finding a new lead pastor and navigating through daily life as a church without one. With the first name change, we had a lot to arrange administratively. It was a big change. I think it was the first major change we'd had since this, you know, clarity was launched, got off the ground. Uh, We were on an uphill swing with growth, which was immediately halted with a rebrand. It was like a balloon. I always think of it like it was a balloon that was getting blown up and then just popped with a needle. Everything stopped and everything changed. It felt like we started over. Um, But in that, God was speaking to our church and speaking to our leadership. You're going to need to know how to do this. Get ready. What's coming next will be big and it will be difficult. So we got everything together, moving on, powering, you know, powering forward. And then our founding pastor left to Nashville, moved across the country, and this was a shift that took a lot of flexibility. It was a loss of friends, a loss of mentors. It was painful. And in that, God spoke to our church, hey, you're going to need to be flexible because what you are used to is not what this is about. Your comfort is not what this is about. Get ready, because what's coming next is going to be bigger, and it's going to be more difficult. And then we left. We left the network, the City Reach Network. We changed our name again, and I was like, yes, this is what it was all about. We know how to do this. This must have been why we had to do it the first time. I felt like all of the hardship was starting to point into a direction that made sense. We've done this before. At this point, our teams were stronger. Our our people were stronger. Our leadership was stronger. We knew how to take care of, of all the stuff involved. This would be relatively easy. But it was challenging, and it does present obstacles in the way of our growth. Um, But in that, I think that God spoke to our church and our leadership. You will need to be resilient. Keep getting back up. Get ready. What's coming next will be even bigger, and it's going to be even more difficult. 
And then the Houston's left. And all I could think at this point was we've been punched in the face a lot. And then we turn around and sucker punched in the face again. That hurt. Ushering us into the most difficult thing our church has done since launch. And in this, I think that God speaks to our church. You need to let me be strong for you. Get ready. I've got big plans for you, and I'm not done with you yet. See, I don't think that we could have survived this transition two years ago. If what we're going through now was the season that we ushered into two years ago, we never would have made it. I think all of these various circumstances, God was speaking to our church the way forward. He spoke favor and providence. He made it happen. He spoke instruction. This is how you go forward. This is what you do. Through all these hardships, our systems, our teams, our leaders, our people have been built up in a way that now we can do this. And God's still speaking. Get ready. I'm doing big things in Los Angeles and dwell churches a part of it. Because I don't think that God invests nearly this much time or energy into things that he does not intend to use powerfully. And on the same side of that coin, I don't think the enemy tries so hard to tear something down unless he's very threatened by it. I believe that the Spirit is moving in really powerful revival in this city, and I think that it's going to happen here. I don't like to be wrong. So me saying this in front of witnesses to the Internet, that's kind of a bold thing, but I do believe that that's what God is moving, that God is speaking, where the Spirit is moving. I believe that miracles will be seen here in this church, physical, real miracles. I, I believe that thousands of people will come to know Christ and encounter God genuinely be in this church. I know that feels really impossible. There's 20 of us here today. But I believe that thousands of people will come to know Jesus because of this church. I prophesy big things in the name of Jesus because I believe this is what he's speaking. And I don't like to be wrong, so I hope he really comes through. Romans 8 Verses 18 through 25. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing for the glory that will be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. And hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons, the redemptions of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And the last one, moving on to loss. God speaks through loss because he's good. And he desires to be the sole source of our sustenance. And this one, this is, this is the one I tried to run away from. I, this is the one that I know that people struggle with the most. People who have lost faith, people who refuse faith. They decided they couldn't believe in a God who lets loss and suffering happen. And I can understand that. I get that. It doesn't usually make any sense. 
loss is hard and it hurts. Am I the person that's qualified to talk about this? Probably not. Which is why I tried to run away. That's <laughs> why I tried to just keep it brief and, you know, paraphrase things about David and the hot chick. <sighs> but I know that God's been bringing this up and he's, been, he's given me something to share, so I wanted to be obedient to that. So if you think about Job, very few people in the Bible lost more than Job did. He lost his wealth, his home, his children. Literally in, in the book of Job, all of his kids were having a dinner party and a great wind knocked the house down and they were very violently crushed by their own house. That's crazy. That's, really, that's, that's a lot. He lost his wife. He lost his health. He lost everything he had. The Bible even makes it very, stresses that he lost his goats, which must have been important. But he never lost his hope in the Lord. He never stopped relying on God. In fact, he got into a lot of arguments with his friends about it. Sometimes I think that loss serves a purpose in pruning away what's dead. I know that I've, I've lost a lot of broken relationships and dead relationships because they were hurting the healthy part of my life. Amber shared a little bit about her story last week, and what she says to me all the time is the loss was worth the gain, and I think sometimes that God speaks very powerfully that way. But sometimes loss doesn't make any sense. Um, Topher and I recently went to New York City, and we visited the 9-11 memorial. Um, because, yes, in the midst of trying to run away, of talking about heavy loss, God took me to ground zero and asked me to talk about 9-11. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Basically just of what I experienced there. So they've, they've built a, a, a museum underneath of those fountain monuments that are really beautiful, really moving. I highly recommend you go there if you get a chance. Um, but it's where basically the, base, the museum is housed where the basements used to be of both those towers. It's so powerful. It's really amazing. Um, and in one of these rooms, there's an exhibit honoring all of the people that we lost that day. It's an entire room filled floor to ceiling along the walls, the entire wall, three by five pictures of everybody that we lost. And in the middle of the room, there's some consoles, little touchscreen consoles. They have the same pictures on them, and you can scroll through and click on somebody, learn their name, where they were from, a little bit about them. And then they have a recording of somebody who loved them, honoring them. So we're scrolling through, already very emotional. Um, and I saw a picture of a very little girl. She's a toddler, little blonde pigtails. Her name was Christine. Um, she was uh, traveling to Los Angeles with her parents on one of, the, one of the planes that hit the buildings. I lost it. Completely lost it. I literally saw this picture and I thought, God, why is she here? I don't know her, but I felt that loss. Why is this little girl included here? It's like, God, why did, why did this have to happen to this little girl? Like, sure, there are thousands of other people here, but this? What can you possibly have to say in that? I, was, I had to leave. Obviously, couldn't finish any of that. I was like, got to go. 
Um, so moving on through the next exhibit, uh, they talk about the world and the city of New York after that day, um, the, the effort to clear through all the devastation and the rubble. And, uh, walking along, they've got all these little artifacts, and I mean, there's just a lot to see. Um, and so I come up to this, um, this picture and a little plaque. Uh, they talk about how one of this, the steel workers who was there clearing away all of the, the devastation um, found, just saw in the distance, kind of toppled over, covered by some stuff, just uh, a crossbeam of steel, what used to be part of the building that remained intact just in the form of a cross, laying on its side, surrounded by devastation. He pointed it out to his coworkers. He po they pointed out to more people. Soon, it started to become a symbol for all the people on the team there, uh, on the recovery team, a symbol of hope. It started to become a s just for the, the healing process of the city, a symbol of hope. People of all faith, Christian people, Jewish people, Muslim people. I think I think the atheists had a problem with it, but everybody else was like, "This is a miracle." I was so moved and I was so uplifted. I thought, God, this must have been somewhat what you were speaking because this is the only good thing I see here. And that's when I saw it. I looked up and it was right in front of me. They had it in this museum standing seven feet, 17 feet tall. I could have touched it. It was right there. The part of the building that used to stand so tall and that fell and that then became a symbol of hope was right there. I can't tell you what God's speaking to you and the losses that you've experienced. I'm not going to try to oversimplify the way that God speaks through difficult things. I think it undermines God's complexity, his nuance. I think it demeans the real pain that people feel. And I think it's really pandering to the people who are genuinely looking for answers. I don't have an answer. I'm not going to pretend that I do. But I do know that God is good. And I can promise that in every loss, there's a cross of hope. In the rubble, in the devastation where you don't think it belongs, there's hope. Ask God to bring light or focus in on it if you don't see it, if you don't know that it's there. Ask him to lead you to where this hope is found because it's there. I love music. I'm a worshiper. I think that I, I, I connect the most when in music. So I have another song reference for you. I'm sorry. Um, it's a song uh, called "Here and Now" by Will Reagan. I think it's so good. And so the opening verse it says, "When your faith and perfect love can't explain the way you feel, you'll find you've looked for a sign from up above, but he was there in the dirt where you stood." This is how God speaks in our circumstances, in the dirt. Unfortunately, I think a lot of the time when you're deep in it, you're fresh with the pain. It's not only difficult to decipher what he's saying or to hear that he's saying anything, I think it's difficult to care what he has to say in the first place. He's taken something away from you. Why should you care what he has to say about it? I think this is totally understandable. I get it. I stand there with you if that's where you are. Don't try to um, pretend that you don't feel a certain way that you feel. Bring it to God and say, God, I don't get it. Um, I, I very firmly believe that God is not out to deceive you or lie to you. I think the deceit is not from God. He promises to tell you the truth. 
if you ask him a question directly, God, why is this happening to me? What, is, what are you speaking to the, in this? He may not answer. He may answer in silence. But he's not going to lie to you. That blind man, the man who was blind from birth, you know how Jesus healed him? He spit in dirt and then rubbed it on his eyes. That's where the hope is, in the dirt. That's where the healing is, in the dirt. That's what faith is. There's hope found here and now, here within the real. So I told you we'd come back to David. We're going to come back to David. David also had a cross of hope in his circumstance. So Bathsheba, the hot chick, eventually became his wife, and they had a kid. That kid became king. Then he continued on a bloodline from David to Joseph, the, hus- the husband of Mary, the father of Jesus. Through David's sin, God, redeeming all things, uses David's sin to redeem him from his sin. That blows my mind. I love that. Without David's sin, we wouldn't have the same path to Jesus. Jesus, who came as the cross of hope for all people and dying for our sins, made not only David, but all of us righteous and holy. And even in the cross, this is a savior. This is somebody that everybody cared for or, you know, in the time. And he was arrested, he was tortured, and he was murdered. You sit and you think, God, what are you speaking in that? That is violent. That is that is sad. And God speaks redemption, love. Remember that what God speaks is unique to you in your circumstance, in your season. And I think that oftentimes this is not fully seen in the moment. You don't see how far you've come until you've gotten to the top of the mountain, turned around, and seen how far you've climbed. I think that's a really satisfying thing to do. If you're struggling to see that cross of hope in your circumstance, I just encourage you to pray through it. I know that that sounds like a cliche. Um, And I want to stress that going through something that sucks, praying about it, is not really going to make it suck any less. I don't want to give anybody that illusion because that's not really how it works. I think to believe that is a little naive. But praying through that focuses your eyes to Jesus, focuses your eyes to the cross. And in the cross, you find hope. And hope is the way forward. And it'll still suck even when you have hope. Um, So we're going to spend a little bit of time just in response, uh, a little differently than than we normally do. Um, We're just going to play a video, play a song. Um, Just encourage you to let it wash over you. Let it sink in. Um, You can pray through that. Pray for somebody next to you. Um, you can check out completely. I don't really care. This is your time. Do with this time whatever you want. I just ask that you let God do the same and do what he wants in this time. Uh, God, thank you that in all things you are, you are there. That on the top of the mountain you're there. On the struggle on the way up you're there. In the valley, and when things are hopeless, you are there. God, we cling to your goodness. 
even when we don't really believe that. We run to that because that's what faith is. Um, nobody, nobody likes difficult things, but I think that for most of us, this is a hard city to live in, God, and we all experience these difficult things. Um, I, I just pray for a reminder that through the difficult things, you're also speaking in ways of providence and in ways of blessing. Though when it feels that things are, things are quiet, you're speaking in so many different ways. 